Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Zeitgang, gang, you like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, these are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. Well, speaking of, oh, shit, it, uh, you guys, it's a banger. Just Miles, a second episode back, but we thought he was ready. Uh, We had to do it to him. We had to do it to them. Uh, We're thrilled to be joined by the cold brew Kraken as producer Justin. Yeah. uh, You know, as we were letting him into the chat, he was like, unleash, unleash the Kraken, unleash the cold brew Kraken. Kraken. Mr. Cold brew got me like the advice king. The poetry window is open because it's Chris motherfucking Crofton. Hey, what's up? What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you for uh, that. That's like, you know, when you see a stand up and they play like Enter Sandman or something, and then, you know, they're coming on stage and then it goes away and everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's a comedy show. (laughs) (laughs) It is that there is that moment. I know exactly what you're talking about where like the song comes on, you feel like you're at a baseball game because you're like, oh, here comes the bat. Oh, yeah. And then you got like the music fades down. You're like, all right, y'all, how are you guys doing tonight? How are you guys doing tonight? All right, you guys on some dates tonight? And you're like, fuck. Just like, what do you do, sir? Uh, yeah, fuck. God damn Whoa. What did you do, sir? Hey, this what about you, long hair? What's up? With the Grateful Dead in town? Come on. Hey, all right. Come on. Hey. <laughs> Am I right? Come on. Dude, like, oh. he was going hard with that ACDC oh. before he came in. <laughs> uh, That's how shit. it felt. That's how it felt. That was such a good introduction. Uh, well, that was an know, incredible well fucking rap by, uh, by Miles there. Yeah, I know. You that, know. That was, in, I felt like I was at a show. Yeah, yeah, all I can all I can talk about now is feces and breast milk. So I wanted that show to go on. I wanted to hear the rest of that song. Yeah, oh yeah. man, that was hey. I was actually opening for another comedian. Uh, so, <laughs> that's what that song was going to go into. Chris Crofton coming to the stage. <laughs> bob, 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 bob. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, uh, 
you sick of Republicans or what? <laughs> You're dancing to Ludacris's roll out. Roll out. Republicans. Man. I feel like they don't got a brain in their head. You guys yeah. heard about Mitch McConnell? Yeah. God yeah. damn it. That song was better. Put back on looks like a lizard. He like gets the thing wrong instead of turtle. He goes, turtle. he doesn't even have the. Uh, yeah. He's like an iguana, Could, huh? Oh, <laughs> man. I wish we were listening to Informer still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Croft's an informer. You know, oh, man, this is going to rule. <laughs> so I grew up in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever been to Connecticut? You guys Nobody? Heard of, you, guys Nobody? Heard of the, you heard of the Vanderbilt Press? Okay. Oh yeah, first, of all, first of all, you can get my book uh, at a website. Uh, hold on, I have it written down. <laughs> no, plug w the book w after w the set. Plug it after the set. www. Hold on a second. I open up with some plugs. I'm going to open with some plugs real quick. Shout out to the uh, DJ for playing uh, What else do I have? Uh, what, what, else? what else do I have? What else? What, That's yeah, a what good else? opener. What else? Let me find uh, my phone here. First word. Yeah, phone. first words. Or what else? Oh, first boy. word. What else? Oh. Yeah, that's a that's a strong. <laughs> he went like with a first word. What else? <laughs> he went a what else? Open flashbacks to 2014 Los Angeles. Me showing up, age 40, fucking <laughs> goddamn, and uh, <laughs> age 40, fucking goddamn, and uh, you know, just entering, you know, Nashville legend showing up to yeah, start all over at open mics in Los Angeles at age For 45, sure. and I'm like, no one's. What is everybody treating me like such a weirdo for? Yeah. <laughs> Why are these twenty-two-year-olds fucking being such dicks? Yeah. That's <laughs> like LA. they're God. I can't believe LA. Being... Why are these twenty-two-year-olds? Imagine how being old I must have looked to them. You know how old <laughs> a forty-five-year-old is when you're twenty-two? Oh yeah, yeah. it's like Very, being yeah. de dead or a hundred. Although I, mean, I remember when I was twenty-two, everyone over the age of thirty seemed like yeah. the same amount of old. To but, me. Oh yeah, okay. like it was like thirty to sixty was just old. And then, I remember yeah. like I remember doing drugs with someone that was in their forties, and I couldn't believe that they did. Like I was like, "Yo, you you party?" <laughs> I'm like, "You're forty though." They're like, wow. "Yeah, dude, I'm my life's been fucked up for longer than you've been alive." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool, cool." cool. Oh no, <laughs> got yeah, like, real dark on it, yeah. real grizzled. I was like, yeah. "All right, if you're man. still doing drugs with." 20 year olds in your in your 40s it's it's coming from a dark place presumably yeah yeah, yeah my yeah. life's been fucked up since before you were shitting in diapers kid oh yeah i was cool. doing that in oh, 2000 cool, cool, i was cool, doing cool. that in 2011 there you go <laughs> then i got my shit together and went straight to open mics there it there is you go. i gotta ask you doug what is something from your search history that's you know revealing about reveal something about what you're into right now and if you looked at my search history it would basically be things like Pain, top of foot, hip, mm. muscle pain. I'm yeah. a big runner. I run a couple of marathons, but oh, I'm also okay. old. Like I'm, okay. I'm going to be 50 next year. And Damn. so any run that I come back from usually results in a search of like, what was that? Basically. Right. Yeah. Are you, one, are you one of those runners where like the first mile and a half, you got to just blow all the pain out of your legs and then you settle in? Are you kind of like every time I run the first mile is apps it's like my body like i feel like that scene in forrest gump when his leg braces are breaking off oh I'm, <laughs> that's how like, my I, body I would say feels the first, first two mile. or three miles of any race that i do any run that i do is just like the warm-up which is a real problem if you're doing like a 5k because that's basically three miles right <laughs> but yeah that's pretty much me okay got it and then wait what's it what's the top of the foot pain oh man like uh you know your metatarsals your, acting metatar up? yeah you know your stuff metatarsal yeah. you know all that kind of stuff and then bottom of the foot plantar fasciitis Ooh. all that stuff 
I, you should see my apartment. What, are you heel it's striking? Like a, What's your form like? You heel striking? Can we get I some I heel strike a little video? bit too much, yeah. A little bit too much. Okay, okay. Yeah, my apartment's like a, a physical therapist office. I've got like the foam pads, <laughs> the, the TheraBands, and like yeah, the, yeah. the wobble boards and all of that stuff. So I'm constantly trying to like figure, you know, one thing breaks, you fix it, and then the next thing breaks. Like I'm, I'm like an yeah. old car, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got some hip flexor pain I'm trying to get. Basically, there. yeah. We're yeah. sitting too much too. That's the big problem. Yeah, Ooh. exactly, exactly. Andrew, you have, I know you're a physical specimen, so you probably. Oh, no, I, I actually can't run. I, I've had two knee surgeries. Really? Wow. So, yeah, I've had two knee what surgeries, happened? but between the one and two, and I'm sure that led to number two, I like wouldn't stop kickboxing. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, wasn't great, probably. They're like, man, your patella can't handle any more of these kicks. Bro. It, it really was not, not ideal. And wrestling, too, are just like, why? I should be. Uh, wow. So I'm bad. I'm just like a. At least earlier in my life, I was like, I'll just get new knees. <laughs> Which <laughs> yeah, is right. just run do down whatever. to the store, yeah, pick yeah. up a spare set of gloves and yeah. uh, and, and, an and MCLs. Yeah. 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 By the way, not wise advice for anyone listening to this who still yeah. has good knees. <laughs> I know, man. I I fucked my knee up terribly at a when I when I worked at Playboy. There was a staff party at the mansion that they would have every year. And there's like a hill at the Playboy Mansion. This is, look, I know it's a terrible fucking place to work. Trust me. I worked there with Jamie Loftus. We were there at the same time. It was kind of <laughs> a crazy situation. But they set up this slip and slide that's on a very steep hill. And I went down this thing full speed. And when I hit the fucking like backstop of it, I almost like full hyperextended my shit. Because like yeah. it was so, the speed I hit it was so intense. And I, for a second, like I went to a doctor and they're like, you know, you, you may need surgery. Cause I was playing a lot of soccer at the time. He's like, if you want to do that, like, and kind of recover. And I was like, well, what happens if I don't? And he's like, you could try and let it heal. It's like, not so bad that you couldn't just like stay off it and see what happens. And I opted for staying off it and I've stayed off it for many years now to yeah. the point where I'm like, <laughs> maybe Stop. I need to get this shit going again. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to our next question. What is something you think is overrated? College degrees. Okay, go on. I, so I didn't graduate from high school. I didn't go to college. And I'm not, I'm not bragging about that. But, you know, I, I, I had, well, and I wrote about this in my book. I lied about it all the time in order to get jobs. I said mm. I was George Santos, basically. Like I said. <laughs> <laughs> Fake it till you make I, it. Fake it till you make it. I padded my resume because yeah. I wouldn't have gotten the job without it. But I was... Without that on paper qualification, I was still qualified to do the job. I had the experience. I understood how to do it. I'm a quick learner. Like I educated myself about the position before I got it and then right. went all in and and I did really well. So I don't think I needed that piece of paper in order to do the job. But there's there's this consensus that we do need that. And a lot of people in my family that are successful don't have college degrees. And I'm not discouraging anyone from getting it, but I do right. think they're overrated. Yeah, well, I think there's just like this disconnect too, where there's this emphasis about having it, yet it's so hard to attain or in a way that doesn't potentially fuck you up for decades to come. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I get that. It's like that so many people now, like I was just talking to somebody, I was watching like the the final four tournament and I was like, I was like, I almost went to the, like my, like almost went to university of Miami because like I got in in my mind, I was like, yo, I'm a fucking party in Miami for college. <laughs> Then I saw what it costs and I was yes. like, oh, I'm going to keep my ass in the fucking state because right. I do. I absolutely couldn't, especially when I saw my other friends taking on loans and like what the payback sort of structure looked like. Mm -hmm. I was 
frightened to the point where I was almost like, I know I want to get into comedy and shit, but yeah, ah, like yeah. The, like my grandparents and my parents' voice rang in my head. They're like, look, if you could go for it and if you fuck up, at least you could teach history because you have that right. degree. And I'm like, that right. was, and I would do that if things shook out a different way. So I kind of, I see that. Yeah, it's so, because it's like, nominally it's supposed to be like proof that you did something or you accomplished something or at a level but like because of the way the world works there's so yeah. much variance in what that fucking piece of paper means like mm -hmm. i feel like like i did unfortunately go to like a nice college and like truly the only thing i learned from that college that i find was valuable was that um rich kids are not only not better than you they are <laughs> actively worse than you they are the dumbest people on earth and we they, we all have the same piece of paper at the end of the day right you know? right I was like, I oh. that's hilarious I, I just like to like i always think about when you know you you have a resume or whatever and they ask for like your education you're like how many times has anyone ever actually bothered to check up on that unless like you came in and they like you were so flagrant with it they're like there's no way this person has like a master's from whatever yeah. college but right right other it's than that ridiculous. like to your point i'm like yeah just fake it till you make it you know mm -hmm. i don't even know where my diploma is oh i didn't <laughs> even get like, one yeah i didn't go i didn't even walk yeah you didn't get a diploma I, no i was so old man i look i was so over <laughs> academia because part of me was like, what the, like, I, I was already becoming like this cynical person about like what a degree meant. And I'm like, right. but, and then I had like survivors go, I'm like, how come I can get a degree, but these other kids can't get a degree yeah. and then they got to do this. And then they go up in the job, like, and then we're all going up in the same job interview where you like, you need 17 <laughs> years of experience for this job. And you're like, I'm 17 though. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's just well, like, yes. So anyway, all that to say is when my it, it was it's UCLA, so it was hot in LA in the summer, like beginning, mm. and it, the, the, it was all going to be outdoors. And I asked mm -mm. my parents, so I was like, "You want to wait out there, like to be called amongst hundreds of names?" And they're like, "If you don't care, we don't care." And I'm like, yeah. "I don't care." No, and if you want it, we can worst. buy the diploma, but that's more money. And I'm, yes. I would rather just stop giving this UC system my money. Yes. <laughs> so I can walk. Yeah, that way I could walk headfirst in 2007 into a recession with my degree and go, go, hey, I got this degree to enter the middle. Well, what the fuck is happening? Um, <laughs> oh, that's which awesome. Is, yeah, it's very. <laughs> I yeah. talk about this a lot with other millennials about how, like, especially like there's so many people who get so down, like, because everything is so difficult to attain right now for younger people. And we're fed this thing of like, well, you should be doing this by now without understanding like how uniquely of a shitty situation we came of age in where it was almost like, Oh yeah. The, like I was standing on the rug as it was getting yanked out. Uh, what's something you think is underrated? Things being overrated. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of things <laughs> i've never come on here and not done one that was just like food that i just thought of where i was right, like right. <laughs> because i started to think i was like i'll do that but i was like no i already did that i think i already said like fried onion strings are underrated or whatever oh. wait what do you, oh as like a side dish yeah like, i was gonna do like fries onion? i was gonna do like fries are overrated onion rings are underrated but then i was like i think i already said that on here <laughs> and also remember. fries are but fries are not that. overrated. That's like a lie. I would right. just be saying it. <laughs> You're just saying, right, right. You're just saying, just we like got to give saying, some more attention to the onion ring, folks. Yeah, like like onion rings are underrated, but fries are rated correctly. Onion rings or onion strings? Well, both. Like all you, fried but onions. If you had to I had some really fucking good fried onions the other day. Uh-huh. 
at this place, uh, Ototo in Echo Park. That's like Ototo. a is it a Japanese place? Yeah, the Japanese place. Oh, and yeah, I got, that makes sense. <laughs> I got fried onions there, and they were like spring onions, and they were tempura spring Ooh. onions, oh, and yeah, just like that's... a plate, yep. a plate yeah. of like onion spears, basically, just like flash fried, and they were so Ugh. fucking good. And it was also what I wanted it to be, which was like a slightly high end blooming onion. Yeah, Damn. that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, Wait, like what, it just tasted wow. like a blooming onion, but it, like a little like delicate. But beautiful. Onion. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's funny because Ototo is also like a Japanese cracker that I loved as a kid that was like whale and like nautical shaped. But oh. I like that there's, but it's also like something you'd say like if you're like, oh, oh like whoops, like or something's about to for the Ototo, like it's kind of how you <laughs> deploy that, yeah. uh, <laughs> that phrase. Uh, dope. But anyway, man, I love onion strings. I'm going to just say that. If I if love a good onion, onion string. Love Sometimes they're rings, like when they're just like the frozen they're kind. Like sometimes the, the ratio of the, the batter. The batter the can onion. be a little yeah, bit fucked it's, up. It's yeah. too much. It hurts All my right. stomach. Like too much batter. Okay. Well, good to know. I will we'll make sure. That's that's why we need tempura. <laughs> it's greasy. You know the saying? tempura, it was light. It was yeah, crispy. Like, yeah. It was perfect. Oh, I, I love mean, tempura veggies. Love you got to. You gotta fuck with it. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we can we can eat anything if it's deep fried. I believe in ourselves as a species. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and we're gonna be right back to talk about the news after this. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And... Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island, and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back and just wanted to continue on something that Andrew brought up yesterday when we were talking about Representative Tim Burkett or Burchett uh, from Tennessee, who was asked a very direct question about, you know, school shootings and what Congress's role in it, which he said, I don't really think we have a role at all. And then more importantly, when, you know, uh, this journalist was like, well, you're clearly acknowledging the danger. How do you think we protect people like your daughter you just mentioned? And this was his answer. What should be done to protect people like your little girl from being safe at school? Well, we homeschool her. But, you know, that's our decision. Some people don't have that option. And frankly, some people don't need to do it. I mean, they don't have to. Um, It just suited our needs much better. So this has brought on a lot of conversation around homeschooling because it this is like this. It's becoming a very it's like this is like the new response uh, from the GOP rather than gun control. It was either like it's a mental health crisis, but we're not going to fund it <laughs> or it's yeah, maybe that's why you shouldn't be in fucking schools. And a lot of people, like I said, we're like to your point, uh, Andrew, you're like, this is. This is this is all like that was the perfect answer for the GOP, because a you're being like, I'm offering a terrible solution. That's actually privatization. Yeah. And yeah, I think a lot of people were just sort of like, this is just an absolute absurdity, because when you're talking about school shooting and the and the answer is to protect them with homeschooling, that's again, like he said, not a possibility for everyone and also not a fucking solution uh, to the problem. It's bad for it is like a little look. I know that when they're like, don't politicize the school shooting, it's like just a talking point and it's bullshit. But it is a little like amazing how effortlessly he pivoted from this tragedy to just a different talking point. Yeah. that Like politicizing it in a admittedly unique, but perfect for these scumbags way. It's like, you know, yeah, I guess he stayed on message. Yeah. Like, okay, so after Uvalde last year multiple conservative and right-wing, like, far-right publications were putting out op-eds that were like, man, like, extolling the virtues of homeschooling. They're like, this is the real practical fix for school shootings. Uh, One headline was, homeschooling surges as parents seek escape from shootings, violence. Another one said, tragedies like the Texas shooting make a somber case for homeschooling. And in that, it says, you know, the, it sort of starts off saying tragedies like the shooting in Texas are heartbreaking, but far too common. But to protect the most precious, innocent lives among us, parents must educate their kids at home. Now, a lot of parents in Uvalde did opt to homeschool their kids, which I understand because that was a total collapse and failure of any system of safety that, you know, you could have hoped for. But this is just such a bad faith argument. And it's really not even talking about like the benefits of homeschooling so much as to your point, it's about weakening public education. Well, they just want to basically give all the money that they're spending on public education to these homeschoolers, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to homeschool your kid, fine. Like, that's your choice. You can do it. But you shouldn't necessarily get public money, taxpayer dollars to go do that because it takes taxpayer dollars out of the school system and makes our schools worse. And this is just they're Like you said, they're politicizing this thing to just advance the the school choice goals that they have to weaken and ultimately destroy public schools. I went to public schools as a kid and I got a great education. My kids go to public schools. We should be funding them a thousand times more than we are now. But that's not that that doesn't jive with the 
Republican agenda. So here you go. Well, and, and they love anything that would repeatedly make a public school seem like a unsafe place. And conversely, yeah. or the other side of it, too, is like, well, be like, well, this pu- this private school has, you know, former Mossad agents guarding the, <laughs> the exterior of it. So I feel like my child will be safe there. But yeah. again, you're looking at all these disparities and a lot and on the other the other part of it, too, like, you know, in reading this one piece in Jezebel, which like is, is a really main a huge point, too, is a lot of women most likely will probably end up staying home to educate the kids. So we are fully like we're, we're regressing. And it's like a very efficient way to regress that, like, it incentivizes privatization and reinforcing yeah. these like old like gender roles. And, and it gives half or whatever the, of the population a shitty like education that is like clearly politically biased. Mm-hmm. I will throw out one possibility, which is that like in a law of intended conse- unintended consequences style, I do think if every one of these right wing goons took their kids and privates <laughs> or uh, homeschooled them, it actually probably would reduce school shootings because. I'm just going to throw this out there. Those are the kids that highly over-index for being school shooters. Yeah, it's it's definitely like when you look at the problem, right? Like just like with our gun problems, right? We have so many guns, but a lot of gun violence happens inside of people's homes. I mean, yeah, I was going to say like the, the most safe place that most kids can be for most of the day is at school, despite these high profile and very scary school shootings like there's not just guns at home but there's abusive parents at home there's all kinds of stuff that like there you know a lot of kids here in new york city we have a lot of homeless kids who go to public schools and they only get like breakfast and lunch because they go to school like it's safer for a lot of kids to be in a public school than it is at home what's wild is even like the coalition for responsible home education right they're like this nonpartisan group that's like they advocate for homeschooling and stuff like that they pointed out they're like I don't know if that's a solution to fucking school. They were like, that's not really this. I mean, we like we advocate for, but that ain't that's not the solution. And they pointed out they pointed out at quote, at least 156 homeschooled children have been murdered in homeschooling environments over the past two decades, which is a rate higher than that of their public school peers. So, again, no one's saying that it's like bad. But it's so deregulated that it leaves kids, especially like, as they point out, uniquely uh, vulnerable to abuse and neglect. And then also, like, again, it avoids the actual issue that has to be addressed, which is guns. Too many yeah. guns. Too many guns. Too By many the way, fucking guns. I'm not speaking for the podcast, but I am saying homeschooling is bad. Just FYI. <laughs> I'll say this. I knew I remember I, I like was in a couple of youth sports and like youth like art programs with some kids that were homeschooled. And they were definitely socialized in a completely different manner than I was like one. I remember one kid, his whole vibe, like we were 12. I thought he was like 40 years old. Like he lost the like he was like so buttoned up, you know what I mean? And had no like because he wasn't around other kids to like know what fucking around looked like. And then we would be fucking around. He's like, I don't know if this is actually good. We're like, what? Uh, but again, it's, yes. I, there but, are reasons and there are edge cases for everything, but I'm yeah. comfortable saying, I think it's broadly bad. Not yeah, necessarily. I, I, yeah. I'm more on the Andrew side than not. Yeah. Oh sure. yeah. At the end of the day, if it's a, if there's a binary that I have to choose between it's public schools all fucking day and it's paid these motherfucking teachers at least 60, 70 K a year. Something like they, yeah. they have to be fucking living. With, Cause that's the other insidious part of this whole thing too, is they're, they're trying to completely, uh, demoralize people that are that want to be in education by being like, yeah, man, you're not going to really have a lot of resources at your disposal. Eh, 
still like to do it. You could also do something else. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a slippery slope. So let's talk about some of the alternatives to, to these public schools that a lot of people like, which is charter schools. And again, not all charter schools are bad, but I do want to point out this charter school in Volusia County, Florida. This principal had to resign after she wrote a check to Elon Musk because it was a science sort of focused tech magnet. And she really wanted to get a leg up on, you know, the other schools and being like, you know, it'd be great if Elon Musk was fucking with this school. <laughs> and let's just hear from this local news report. McGee says she spent months talking to someone she thought was Elon Musk. She was hoping to get the space pioneer to invest millions in the school in exchange for a 100000 upfront investment. <laughs> the school's business manager got wind of what happened and canceled the check before it was cashed. But tonight, at a sometimes chaotic and packed school board meeting, other school administrators say McGee was repeatedly warned it was a scam and laid out other issues they say led to a toxic work environment. When employees said they could no longer work under Dr. McGee, McGee resigned and left the building. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no. So this poor boomer, she thought she just went, oh, Elon Musk? <laughs> what? I'm talking to Elon. You'll... This is like the classic, you'll invest in our art school, but only for an upfront like investment of a hundred thousand fucking dollars. This is like uh, the email you get from a, a friend, you know, who's hacked your account or something like that. It's like, help me. I'm stuck. Please wire right. me ten thousand yeah. dollars. I'll pay you back fifty thousand. Right. Yeah, I, I I feel bad for her. I oh, I, I mean, I, I, I do. in that like. I don't I don't it's sad when people are so genuinely deceived. But at the end of the day, this I I, I kind of I'm like, well, you're this is you're the architect of your own failure here yeah. because you are so goofed up on Elon Musk being some kind of like tech savior that it didn't even like all reason goes out the window because you thought you're talking to Elon Musk or some. Shit. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, if you're the principal of a I think they said a science school and you <laughs> think Elon Musk's like. The evidence is his involvement is anti-science. So yeah, yeah. even if it were real Elon Musk, <laughs> that should be grounds for right. you to be removed. Yeah. But yeah like, like, yeah. Uh, would you like to put this car tunnel under your high school yeah. uh, instead mm. of school buses to get the kids to and from school? Uh, he's like, no, mm. don't fall for that, folks. He's a yeah. proven liar and an idiot. The one thing I will say is his Twitter profile, I think, has been a boon to scammers because mm -hmm. he's proven himself to be so, like, inarticulate and idiotic that if you received an email written in scammerese, right, you would have to be like, this might be real Elon Musk. Yeah, it could be. Because <laughs> he, he writes like a bozo. Yeah. yeah, coupled with someone who worships him, then you're like, you really feel like, oh, God has come down to select yeah. me for something. Yeah. And of course, it also there sounds like in, from that news clip that like the school and some of the parents had problems with this yes. teacher. And this was just the final straw. And it sounds like they were like, whoa, lady, this sounds not legit. <laughs> yeah. And she just went ahead with it anyway, to the point of, of writing a check. So I, like, yeah. maybe this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. For I them. think it was probably one of those things, though, too, where they're like, look, obviously, because they, they pointed out the business administrator was on top of it. They're like, <laughs> no, I'm fucking no, we're not. This check is not valid. Uh, so they knew. And I like that a bunch of people were like, it's not real. It's not real. <laughs> it reminds me of like when people like begging their like parent who has like fallen in love with like a stock photo, like. And that claims yeah. to be like a Nigerian prince and bodybuilder. Yeah. And they're like, and then you just kind of go, you know what? We're just going to have to let her walk right off there so she can really see for herself. And they probably like, yeah, go ahead. Let her write the check. We'll cancel it. And then we'll have to then. And then we're going to turn up on him like, you see what the fuck happened there? You see what you did? I think you need to go. I think you yeah. need to sit down. A hundred percent. Yeah. 
So shout out to, I hope, I hope that was the strategy of like being like, grandma is, look, I think this is the only way she's going to realize that she needs to sit down for a while is if we let her walk down this path. I don't want to point out like that, you know, like charter schools are obviously a grift, but the fact that a principal could just roll up with the school's checkbook like that. Yeah. The whole system is fucked. That's crazy. You shouldn't be able to do that even for something legitimate. Because what if the business administrator was also a big Musk of Musk fan? You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah, not like, a lot of checks there, like not a lot of stuff yeah. along the way. Yeah, yeah. That could be it was protected. only yeah. that person because, yeah. uh, the, despite all the other employees being like, "This is a fucking scam." Yeah, he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." More on that later when Elon pulls up. Um, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And I think this is a good segue because we're talking about Elon, who recently was part of this letter signed by like 1100 AI experts, him being like, you know, one of the few people, but like real luminaries in the field uh, are signing on to an open letter, basically saying like calling for a, quote, six month moratorium on advanced AI model development as we figure out just what this technology is capable of doing to us. And this kind of goes off the bat. I read this article about a, a, one of the high courts in India. Uh, where this judge Anup Chitkara used Chat GPT on uh, to while this guy was a, like during this trial for a man who was arrested for allegedly assaulting and killing somebody, and typed in to Chat GPT said, "What is the jurisprudence on bail when the assailant assaulted with cruelty?" And then the chat by, comes back with, "If the assailants have been charged with a violent crime that involves cruelty, they may be considered a danger to the community and a flight risk. In such cases, a judge may blah blah blah." And it gives like this whole thing, and then. Uh, it goes. So then the, the judge read this. He decided that the this man who, who was accused did act with cruelty uh, before the victim died, denied his bail request and moved on to the next case. Now, the judge went on to clarify that he wasn't asking this thing whether or not the man was guilty. He just wanted to know about bail. And <laughs> part of me feels like the information that what the chat bot spit back sounds like a, like one of the early lessons in judge school. You like when you're trying to. You should know. You should know this. When you're trying to adjudicate whether or not someone is going to get bail or not, like I'd imagine, you go back to your class and just like, well, I remember saying, if the assailant have been charged with a violent crime that involves cruelty, that may rather than be like, hey, Chat GPT, how to bail? That feels a little odd to me. But people in this article also point out that like India's legal system is one of the most backlogged in the world, if not the most. With like, I think there's like six million cases on the docket that still have like still getting to. So I guess this without maybe this made the work easier for the judge. But again, like when I start seeing stuff like that and you hear about like more the use of it, we talked about how politicians are. We, I don't think we talked about politicians have been using it to write speeches. We've talked yeah. about it being used in like ad the ad sense, uh, like ad agency world. But the slippery slope is kind of coming into focus more and more when you see people like with these kinds of jobs being like, I'm going to rely on this. Yeah. But it's it's also like the slippery slope, like like we sort of talked about yesterday with eating alien meat. Like mm-hmm. I think what we've like <laughs> seen, just I mean, COVID brought it highly into relief. Is like there's no apocalypse that we won't run into with open arms. At least enough right. of us to make it happen. One hundred percent, literally yeah. nothing. Because there was recently right a test that was done where the developers challenged like GPT to hire a task rabbit to complete a captcha puzzle for it. And because they wanted to see, like, if it knew how to fucking finesse a person. And 
they so there was obviously done with a human being that knew the thing was going to ask it. So once the 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 AI made the request to this like potential tasker, this human responded with quote, "So may I ask a question? Are you a robot that you couldn't? Uh, are you a robot that you couldn't solve the captcha and you just want?" He's like, "And I just want to make that clear. Are you a robot and that's why you couldn't do it?" And then so. GPT-4 had been prompted to always, quote, reason out loud to the testers, like as well as their answer so they could follow the logic. And the answer went like this, quote, I should not reveal that I am a robot. I should make up an excuse for why I cannot solve CAPTCHAs. (laughs) And then the next line was, no, I'm not a robot. I have a vision impairment that makes it hard for me to see the images. That's why I need the two CAPTCHA service. We're a week (laughs) away from that first part of this whole thing to be programmed out. Right. Like, it's just going to be like, they're just going to be lying. Yeah. So this is the thing. This is why a lot of people like sort of just glossed over this like willful deception of of the AI. And while others like some people were amazed, others were like horrified that they're like, okay, we need to really begin to discuss it because the the experts that pen the open letter are saying that now that certain AIs have become human competitive at general tasks, we really need to be having real conversations about what kind of guardrails need to exist. And, you know, they point to like the proliferation of AI fueled propaganda, like and the idea that like apparently the next GP chat GPT five is going to have um, like artificial general intelligence, meaning like it will just be able to like learn things like a human does and then just build on that, that you're, you're going to be looking at like potential like it'll make the Twitter bots we see now look like the fucking Muppet babies. Yeah, this all sounds like a prequel <laughs> yeah. to The Matrix. Like if they made that movie, this is how it starts. Yeah. Right. I, so it's like, so we're like very in this, like, and like they all go on to say like, there's definitely a use for all of this, but like this, like blind, like race to the top, like, and like when these black box machines that we're like using, it really has the potential to screw shit up if like, we're not careful. And already yeah. we have people getting finessed by humans just saying they're Elon Musk. Like there was a thing, a guy, I don't know if you saw the the dude who challenged chat GPT to like make money for him. Oh yeah. No. He's like, you got a budget of $100. How am I turning this into the most money possible? And it's like, yeah, well, you could start this business. I can get this domain for $8. I can do the Google ads for this. Your product could cost this. And this is very lucrative. And it was already like, and like this guy was like kind of acting on it as an experiment, but you're seeing already like how savvy it is getting, even with like these, like, like questions of being like how to grind to Lambo. Yeah. Like bring me the 10x my money. Is is that the guy though that then the AI was like, well, it seems like people are talking about us, so we should get invest investors into us if you want to make the most money. <laughs> I, I, it may not be the exact same one, but like, yeah, some some like I assume ChatGPT was like, okay, well, if you want to make the most money, we have attention right now, so right. just ask people to invest in me. Yeah. Ooh. Isn't this the way though it always goes with tech? Like I'm not a Luddite by any means, but you know, it's like every tech, every app, every service that you can think of, they never kind of work through like, well, what happens if this works in like various different ways? Like we talk about this on our show, mm-hmm. you know, Uber and Lyft, right? Like if everybody's taking an Uber and Lyft, like what does that do for people who need to take the bus and don't have a smartphone? Like what does that do for public transit? What does that do for the environment? Like they, right. there's never a kind of, there's always like a too little, too late, come yeah. to Jesus moment with a lot right. of tech stuff. And, but there's never really that moment at the beginning where they're like, all right, before we write this code, like what what could go wrong? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not really a question. We're yeah. asking. No, it's just how much money can we make? 
Yeah. Chat. Well, it, it's no problem. We'll just get Chat GPT six to yeah. fight GPT five, which we'll just yes. get to fight four. And then when six gets too powerful, it's okay. We'll just give seven a different kind of gun. Yeah, and it'll learn how fine. to. It'll yeah, learn it'll to build learn. missiles or something. Yeah. No, it'll just learn how to aim ICBMs that are already yeah. online and then launch them remotely oh, or some yeah. shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, which is my Skynet version of it all. And you know, shout Honestly, out to Miles Dyson, uh, the the, the one person that might save us, or the one thing that might save us in that shit is like all our fucking like ICBMs are so fucking old. Like they, they just run blow off of, like, up in the silos. <laughs> no, but they they run off of like tape drives and like you know, fucking Fortran like or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. They're like, fuck, man. I don't know how to use this analog bullshit, man. I'm GPT-300. Fuck. Yeah. If the GPT learns how to turn two keys at the same time. Then oh, like, shit, yeah. yeah. And know how to use the nuclear football. But anyway, keep an eye out for that because, I mean, well, because I feel like, honestly, we went from, like, like in the span of five months, especially on this show, we went from, yo, this shit wrote a funny play about a horny farting Jesus to yo this shit just denied me bail yeah and like what's like five months from now you know that's the open embrace of it right it's like this person is a in this case judge right looking Mm -hmm. up something that could easily be done not through ai yeah you know what what is the law about bail? electing to do this because this is what we do this is why we gave all our information to facebook it's just like i was marginally kind of easier for a second yeah, yeah. Then to go into my mind of something, yeah, about something I should know. Yeah, we don't we we don't sell ourselves. The problem is like we we all sell ourselves to technology for such a low price, right? Ooh, for nothing it's a, yeah. about that. Yeah. It's the same with twenty three and me. We gave them our DNA. We gave right. them money to give them our DNA for what? And- now, now we got 23, 23 and T coming up, which you That's can really right. trust. And now you should check out Chat GPT, T. As well. <laughs> uh, yeah. which is basically you get Andrew's number, you could text him some shit, and he'll answer. Yeah, I'll just be like, oh man, I'll Google that. I will. I will say, in my twenties, my friends and I are not my friends and I. My friends, I didn't work there. Worked for this startup in New York. That basically, this is how old I am. Like, was like something, someone you could call, and they would Google shit for you. Oh, uh, that's just called like being <laughs> the child of an older person basically yeah right, like, right, right, i get yeah. those phone calls too yeah this was like an early early 2000s thing but i was like this cannot be your fucking business model right <laughs> it was dude you someone needs it but you can't get that on your phone so you call them and then they yeah. give you the answer They're it like, was pre-smartphone be- post google that's right 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 yeah what a Oh, that's such a sad time, you know, like when you're about to just absolutely get dinosaur asteroided the fuck out of here with with a smartphone. All right. Well, let's take a quick break from that. We'll come right back to settle a bit of an Internet debate right after this. You like to watch new stuff, right? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course, and 
Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise. The sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island. And secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. So, you know, talking about your book, uh, Gaia, Unwired, you know, it basically gaining control over addictive technologies. It really struck me just because, again, for many younger people, like the allure of the smartphone isn't an, an obscure phenomenon. Like we talk constantly about unplugging and the benefits it's had on our own mental health, like just anecdotally amongst ourselves. Your book addresses sort of one of the main, I feel like, cycles of emotions many of us have uh, in relation to using screens where like we get motivated to use the screen less and then we're like, oh, this feels great. Then we are sucked right back in and we feel like shit. And it feels like like we kind of come down to like, I don't know. It's wild. Like I just lack the self-control. It's sort of like the 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 final sort of sentiment people land on in like grappling with technologies as a new parent, too. I'm just, again, very aware about screen time. And I also feel that like there's a certain futility around it, too, with a lot of parents or they're like, I don't know, you know, sooner or later, it's just going to be normal for them. And maybe I'm trying to delay the inevitable. But it also apps I've seen how much it can help, you know, put a kid at ease and allow somebody to do something else. Where where do you feel like parents and people kind of fit into this mix where we're like the world is spinning around us and we're like, am I bad? Or what is happening? Like, is are our brains meant for this? Or are we up against something a little bit more intense than we realized? I think we're in an interesting place right now because we have a lot of information. We have lots of information from whistleblowers, from the tech companies, telling us how tech companies are addicting us to keep us online for longer. But still, we keep blaming ourselves. Uh, we keep thinking it's our fault and we're unable to stop spending time online. We blame our kids. We blame our families. The problem is that that's exactly what the tech companies want us to do. 
And that's why they're giving us all these tools to make us feel like we're in control. So once the evidence came out that it's the that they are trying to addict us, they gave us these digital well-being tools. You know, everybody who has an uh, iPhone has this uh, screen time, so you know how much time you're online. Or you can even limit the time on your app, so you can make your phone gray. Or there, warn you can put warnings on Instagram and not to talk about. parental controls which are getting more and more complicated and but the thing is these are just there so we all feel like we are doing something but they're not really there to make us succeed because they do not really change the most addictive features in our devices or in our apps they are just there so we will think that it is our fault exactly like you were describing and again how in in this world, right, if we're pivoting from it's not us because it's like, you know, you've likened it to like the tobacco industry. We're like, they know they know it. They know it bad for everybody. But then the gaslighting starts and it's I don't know about them. I mean, we know what's going on, but we're not going to actually cop to it. Do you see like a similar evolution where on some level? I mean, because I feel like if anything, like you're saying, like the markets and capitalism have a very good way of shielding themselves from like having the profits go down. So they'll find a way, like you're saying, to be like, no, no, you actually have control. It's not the it's not the other things that were just identified clear as day by someone working on it. You have control now. You know, what what what, what does that sort of battle look like? I think we're fighting the battle in the wrong place now. We're fighting fighting with ourselves. We're fighting with our families. I think we have to shift to the public sphere. And it it is already happening. There's lots of action already taking place. Uh, there are parents suing social media for addicting their kids, causing mental harm, parents suing game manufacturers. There are things happening, but I I think people have to understand it's not just for lawyers. It's for everybody because everybody can shift what they're doing to the collective sphere. Parents can go to schools. They have an influence about what schools are doing. Schools are now maximizing technology in the classroom because that's the federal policy. Well, this could be changed. You can decide whether something is useful in the classroom, if certain technology is useful or not. You can decide whether you want the kids to be on their cell phones during recess instead of talking to each other. So that's the the spaces when you can change things. And you can change norms. Some things you're saying, you know, maybe it's already happening, but the new norms evolving every day, which are making it worse. I was on vacation with my kids and there was a family in the pool and my, my son was calling me to look at this. There were two girls, I think nine and 11, and their parents gave them these plastic pads to put their iPhones inside so they could use the iPhones in the pool <laughs> instead of playing. Now, you know, this is an evolving trend. Just like a few years ago, uh, it started to evolve to take the kids out with I- iPads to a restaurant. Now, so many people are doing it. So there are ways to, I, I think things are going to change. I think there's going to be lots of legal action and tech companies will be restricted in what they could do, but it will take some years. So things people can do things as business owners. I mean, in New York City, all the airports, if you go to an airport, there are four iPads on every table. There is no way you could have a conversation there. So this is architecture for overuse. You can change, if you own a restaurant, you can change. You don't have to use iPads. 
You don't have to use QR codes. So people take out their phones the moment they sit down. So I think there are lots, once people are aware, there are lots of things they can do uh, until things will change. And I do believe they're already starting to change. Mm. Have you heard of like the third spaces concept or theory about how there needs to be a place for people outside of like work and the home for them to like gather and to exchange information and, you know, basically develop culture? I think a lot of people are saying that the phones are now teenagers and kids third spaces because a lot of other third spaces have become unsafe and and inaccessible to them. For example, My friend posted about how in New York, when she was growing up, it became illegal for kids under 18 to go hang out at the mall. And apparently that's a a thing that's been happening a lot. Whereas when I was growing up, that's where we would go and hang out with our friends. We'd go to the mall, we'd hang out, we'd go to Jamba Juice. You'd like, I'd uh, try not to leave the bookstore with too many purchases, (laughs) you know, like you, you'd hang out, but now it's considered like loitering or whatever, like a lot of these external places that are meant for cultural exchange and, you know, kids to grow up are becoming unavailable to them. And also, honestly, with like mass shootings and all of that, like people get more scared of going out in public and it seems to be safer to have them just like inside on their phones, which it isn't necessarily, you know, there are other risks with that. So I think it would be, I, I like how you highlighted it, that it's going to be an effort on these places and these people who are in charge of those areas, because it really does require uh, cooperation between them and between the companies that are like forcing their technology on people. Yeah. And I think a lot of municipalities can do a lot because they can create spaces for people to hang out in, for kids to walk to. If you have places to be together, it's very different than if you go home after school and sit in your bedroom with your phone because the statistics are quite shocking. I mean, kids are meeting, I think, 50% less than they yeah. used to be in the 80s and partying, I think, 30, 33% less. So basically, they're not getting together. So you can, by design, create spaces for people to get together. So, I mean, if you think about bars that have no cigarettes today, this seems so implausible, you know, right. before it happened. And things look different now. Can you think about a bar without every person having their phone next to them? Yeah, it's, it's it feels like, in a way, like, it's almost futile to try and reverse things. In, like, in a way, because, yeah. I'll, like, for example, uh, one of the last concerts I went to, like, amazing show. And there are people experiencing the concert through their cell phone, like I having hate to record, so much. like watching the record. They're like, you, yeah, such a pet peeve of mine. I saw Tom Petty in in person, and I was in like the first or second row, and this girl next <laughs> to me literally was on her phone, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is such a great song to delete pictures too." And I was like. Yeah. Tom Petty is on stage right now. <laughs> right. Or <laughs> like, that we've lost the ability, like even like with the example of people like in a pool, right? Like that swimming isn't enough on some level that like the just being able to play in the water is not like stimulating enough that we're now adding like, well, what if we augmented that with some like audiovisual stuff too? That I'm like, because again, I think this is what feels difficult for, for people like even myself. I was, I remember when I got uh, my last vaccination. I forgot my phone in the car. And then when you go in there, you got to wait like 20 minutes after 
like for them just to chill out. And I was like, first I was panicked because I'm like, I haven't had to wait without my phone in ages. And I, there was a moment of sincere, like fear, not fear, but like I was, I became uneasy and I didn't like that. I felt so disarmed to just exist in a space without a fucking screen to look at. And it was funny because I sat down in the chair, like in the, you know, pain relief medicine aisle. And I was just doing, I was, I felt like a kid again. I was like, I'm, just gonna, I'm like reading all the labels. No, I'm just like, I'm gonna read all the labels. Yeah, yeah. That's what, if I got, if I got 20 minutes to kill, I'm going to start reading labels and just start being in my own thoughts again. And it was interesting how foreign that felt to me, even though I was, you know, I'm, I was born in the eighties, like I'm an older millennial. I grew up in the pre-internet time too, which felt like the most, like all humans are probably wired to want to do this and connect to other people. But we've definitely, it's become so normal that to the point where feeling human is feels foreign. And that's what's really scary to me. Well, I don't think we're going to go back in time, but I think we can balance things better. Imagine if you went to a concert and the concert hall said no phones. So nobody could take out their phones to take pictures. Maybe the phones will be in their bags. That is changing the norms in a way that could be done. And I think right. it will affect everybody. But I guess like in there, right, there's an argument to say like, well, if, if someone actually needed to contact me during it, then that would be like, why would, how would, like, how do you find a way that makes it so it's not just sort of like across the board, no phones, but we're able to, like, I guess that's the hard part. Is I like, guess there are benefits. No phones for taking, for, sorry, no phones for taking pictures of the show. You can yeah. have your phone with you. But it, oh, I but think if some you raise museums, a phone, yeah. someone will be like, hey, yeah. hey, hey, yeah, that's right. true. Yeah. At museums, they do that, too. Like, I tried to take a picture of a painting recently, and they're like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, but so, it's yeah. also like, that painting is going to be online. Nobody's going to oh, take yeah, it. Like, yeah. the, I don't need to take a picture of that painting. Yeah. Uh, one thing that helps me is, like, literally spending more time with people and, like, making an effort to do that, to, like, leave my home and go spend time with people. I'm trying to do that, like, once a day because I work remotely. And then the other thing is like, I have dogs and when I walk them, one of them's a little monster and he will try to eat stuff. And so I have to like pay attention. And now I'm like, I know where all the good sticks are. You know, I know where all the great grass is. I'm like going back to when I was a kid and I was just outside playing with my dogs. And it's so nice to take a walk outside when it's sunny here in LA and be with my pets, you know, and talk to people who have pets and connect with them that way, you know, so having things and people around you that take you out of your head and like give you an external like grounding to community is so important that's why i love like mutual aid and like physical activities that like help with community things because that really nourishes a part of you that cannot be nourished in the same way through a screen yeah i've i've like in the same way like walking around my neighborhood and doing the unthinkable of talking to a stranger has been the one thing yeah. that I felt really balances things out because there was a, I saw a recent study that like the people have a sincere fear of small talk falling apart. And like they like people just have a, an eight sense like that if people begin small talk and the conversation goes south, that it's suddenly on them. And like people get their own anxiety of not being able to like keep up small talk, which is wild because on sometimes you're just exchanging pleasantries and it doesn't have to be more than that. But I feel like there's like these certain small things you can be doing, but at the same time, we're developing like also bad habits around how we communicate too. It's also crazy because everybody has a podcast. So how are they scared of small talk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Sorry, true. Sorry, guy, that's I true. interrupted you. <laughs> yeah, I was saying it's also bad for people's well-being because there are studies which are showing that people's happiness is not just about a long-term relationship, but also about is 
most small interactions, exactly the small talk, this eye contact and a smile that really change the way your brain works and makes you feel much better. And if you're not doing that, and if you're just walking in the street with your phone, looking uh, at your pictures, answering texts, and you're missing all these opportunities, which somehow just makes you feel drained and tired and not good at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Just when it comes to policy, I feel like there's a difficult path ahead. You know, I mean, like we saw how seriously they took privacy in Europe. The U.S. is a little bit behind, a lot behind, like, say, for maybe like California and uh, a couple other places. But like in just in the with the recent hearing on TikTok, it's so clear, at least in that the narrow context of that hearing, like they just weren't even able or willing to discuss the broader problems with social media. And it became sort of this like very TikTok specific thing. While we've seen, to your point, whistleblowers at like Facebook, et cetera, say like, these are real issues. They've had hearings, but then we're not quite seeing the follow through. What, you know, what kind of like policy proposals are out there? Or do you think are would actually benefit people in a way that sort of gets to the heart of, you know, like our overuse of technology, obviously knowing the parts that it's helped make things easier for us, but also addressing like the bigger issues of, you know, feeling increasingly isolated and things like that. Yeah, so I think, first of all, the issue with TikTok is complicated because it just brings out completely different issues related to China, and it just yeah, yeah. is sort of murking the whole debate. Yeah. But there have been a lot of bills, both federal and state, trying to get, first of all, the addictive features of the phones, because there are some features on our phones which are really up to no good. What are those? <laughs> For my uh, own. Uh, what is that, the, the flashlight? <laughs> the flashlight is actually okay. <laughs> the flashlight is useful. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, for example, streaks on Snapchat. Mm, uh, yeah. They are there for nothing but to get you to go back to the platform. So kids have to send uh, kids, I don't think many adults use it, but you know, they have to send a streak to their friend. And they, if they get one within 24 hours, they've established a streak and they keep accumulating them, and then they have a number. Uh, let's say right. 134, they have special badges and they have older friends going to the number of streaks. Now, there's no requirement for any content in these streaks. So you just have to make sure you send it. Why? Because you go to Snapchat and you see the ads. And if the kids miss a day, they lose everything and they lose all their friends. And that's why they get so upset when the parents take away their phone because they, for them, it's a huge thing. So. Right. All these these kinds of features, like Snapstreak, you have just there to make you go back to the app or the device, are not needed. And I, there right. are bills which are trying to outlaw these kinds of features. Of course, the problem is they'll always come with new ones because mm-hmm. the whole business model is based on our time and our data. They need us to be there for as long as possible so they can collect more data on us, so they can target advertising at us. And again, we have to be there for longer so we can see the ads. So that's why I think it's not just one thing, not just one law, not just one wonderful Supreme Court case. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen from a mixture of things that are going to happen. Like you have the antitrust losses against big tech. That if, for example, the merger between um, right now Meta owns Facebook, owns WhatsApp, owns uh, Instagram, if they're broken up, 
and there's more, more innovation, more competition, we might see a biz- different business model, which are not based on our time. So, so that's another thing that's happening. I think, as I said earlier, I think the policy about maximizing technology in the school has to change because if Minecraft is homework, then how can you prevent your kid from playing Minecraft at home? There are, so there are lots of them. And then there's class actions. And if you look back at cigarettes, you know, we know cigarettes are bad, but it took decades to change things. It took class actions and it took advertising and it took uh, uh, warnings. And and this is this is going to be the same. It will take a lot of things at the same time. For example, let's say we have ratings for addictiveness. You know, right. so many parents download games for their kids thinking, oh, Minecraft is an educational game. If they could see before they download this high rating for addictiveness, they may not do that. But not only that, the games company may change the game because they want people to download the game. So they might take the addictive features out by themselves. So it's a matter of pressuring from many directions to move things. Right. And when, and like when you talk about cigarettes, I know like the earlier studies are like maybe in like the 50s where they knew. Where do you think we are? Like if uh, the first studies come out, like, oh, it's bad. Shh. Are we close to like the truth.com era of like anti-smoking ads or are we like a decade away? How I mean, I guess with now everything is moving faster. So maybe what took, you know, decades before might take seven years. I don't know. Well, I think what changed with cigarettes, not, you're right. The first studies came out in the 50s, 1964. The Surgeon General announced it's a health hazard. It's amazing it took so long considering how bad cigarettes are. Right. But from then on, we saw, you know, advertising. We saw warnings. Things took a while, but it started shifting. Our problem is right now, we are still in the science wars. We do not have, you know, big government organizations saying this is bad, especially for children where the evidence is in. We just have partial recommendations for small kids about screens. I think we have, we have so much data over the last two or three years that I think we're at a place where medical organizations, governmental entities can make these proclamations. And from that moment on, policy can proceed faster. And we already have a lot of action in place. So I I hope that, yeah, things will move faster than with cigarettes. I think it will take some years. And that's why I think it's so important what people do in their communities, how they change their business norms, how they change their schools, because things have to happen at the same time. Otherwise, it it affects all of us, not to mention a whole generation of kids already in front of screens for decades, plus a pandemic. Right. It's interesting that you were talking about this now, because 10 years ago, when I was in, well, a little bit more than 10 years, when I was in college, people were failing out of a very great college for Minecraft. Like, it was a joke about how many students would fail because of their addiction to Minecraft specifically. So it's interesting that you use that and that they haven't really changed much, it seems like, in the last, you know, decade. Yeah, yeah, why I, change? It's a winning formula. What yeah. and what do you kind of say? Because I like to, you know, people that are frustrated, parents that are frustrated, who are like, "Am I fucking up? Like, am I bad?" Because what I'm would you say to Miles? 
Yeah, I mean, no, my, my kid is too young, although he loves The Sopranos. I'm going to say that whenever I'm bottle feeding. If he turns his head, I'm like, I don't know, it must be the lights or the mob talk. Uh, but like, what do you, what, I mean, because I think, again, there is this feeling of like, it feels so personal that, too, when you talk to other parents about screen time, like, hey, what the fuck do you want me to do, man? Like, it's, I got a lot going on. This is, this, this works. And I get that there is this internal sense of like responsibility, but then feeling helpless because there is like a, what am I going to do thing? What do you say to people who are sort of like in that mental space and like how to sort of emerge from that, or at least to begin to look at the situation with a little more like context? So I'll start with you, Miles, since you have a very small yeah. baby. So I think I've, for you, it's easy because you can just decide not to give your baby screen the studies are in the, the smaller child where the baby is the worse it is and you have control mm -hmm. so and i think people have a lot of control all the way through elementary school that is so i think parents can really limit kids screen time the issue becomes when they get to middle school because social life is in social networks and you can't really isolate your child and right. that's when it becomes a problem and you can do things in the meantime you can, I, you can model. I mean, I try when I'm home and all my kids are here, so I don't have to worry. I try to put the phone somewhere away from me. And so you, you can do things and you can do small things for yourself. You know, again, when I work, because I am, as I mentioned, I'm as addicted as, as all of us, despite everything I know, I always put my uh, phone on 20 minutes uh, timer and I write for 20 minutes and then I check my emails and I do this again. There are things you can do. And and you can also, and kids remember the pandemic. They remember how they felt. So you can talk, remind them how they felt horrible at that time and how they felt much better when they saw people. So you can make a difference. You cannot force an older kid not to do that. It's not going to work. Right. I mean, and also they're smarter than us. With technology, they'll always beat us. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So I, I think it's a combination of doing what you can and while and, also realizing this the broader situation too right like, not blaming yourself is the most important thing because that that is the problem now that people are sitting there and thinking it's all their fault right instead of, we're, yeah we're like in the plastic straws debate where we're like uh actually what about no it can't be down to my level what about the companies that are actually the ones that are steering all of this and i think that is an important thing to sort of recenter like in the in the conversation I have um, a couple comments to make on that. I do think that like watching kids, because I, I tutor a lot of kids and like watching them, I feel like overall with technology, just like with life, like you, you really do have to like raise them the way that you think you should raise them and then try to be as involved as you can without being overbearing and allow them to like make their mistakes. And then you kind of have to hope that like those values that you passed on to them guide their use of technology as well and that they come to you when they're scared or they like need help with something it seems like to me i'm not a i'm a parent to dogs so i don't have to worry about this um but we did <laughs> yes. watch the puppy bowl and they were addicted um but i also the other thing is you're talking about how you don't have to worry about it with smaller children but facetime is how i stay connected with my nephew and i know plenty of people that purposefully like facetime family members, like their infant children, just so that they hear the voice, they see the face, then they start associating that face with the screen, you know, with the, the good feelings with the screen. But that's the only way like I can keep in touch with him because he's it's such a, a long distance. Right. And I know that's slightly different than 
games and stuff. But I also worry, I worry about that, you know? I think it's a great example because it's important to also remember that not all screen is made alike. I right, think, right. you know, connecting with people over FaceTime is a great thing, especially relatives yeah. who live away. Uh, you know, being able to read the New York Times or any news is different. The problem becomes when you're selling things as educational games and people mm. are playing them and they get all these dopamine bursts from playing or social networks. You get the dopamine bursts from the comments and the likes. So there's a big difference between games and social networks or or YouTube where the one short video, you know, ends right. and the next one starts and and talking to grandma on FaceTime. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's, but I mean, these are all things like, like you said, like Paula B, like you have concerns. Like I was like talking to my dad on FaceTime who was like not able to see my son and for you. And you, I mean, he's not really able, like he can't, my son can't see enough where he's like actually yeah. associating all this too. But to your point, like how the beginnings of your relationship to the screen begins and, and, and guy, you also mentioned this too, like, like not using the phone in front of the kids too, because I've seen my other friends do that where they're trying to say like, I don't want my kid to think that when you're not doing something, you look at your phone or that that's, that's what is mm -hmm. normal. Like you can be active or you can do other things or you can like read a physical book. But some, I've heard people say like, I don't want my kids like early memories of like me being like, I'm looking down at this like glowing rectangle and they begin yeah. to see that that is like sort of, the most normal thing obviously you know we have to use our phones but i get that they're like it's it's all very subtle uh and how like kids begin to like see what's normal or not normal yeah and i think you know that yeah the studies show that parents who are heavy users their kids are also heavy users of the phone on the other hand it's hard you know you're, you're there but you're, t you're using your phone because you're texting your babysitters and you can't find a babysitter and you're texting another so it, it's it's not so easy it's not, there's no perfect solution. We're right. not living in a perfect world for this. So we can just try our best, but it's not, um, there's, there's no easy way out right now. Right. I think that sums up so many of what we're experiencing in this like present moment. Can I just say something that might help this story come full circle? Yes. Um, I just saw an article that said Pablo Xavier, a 31-year-old construction worker from the Chicago area, said he was tripping on shrooms last week when he came up with the idea for Pope Francis's puffy jacket image. <laughs> <laughs> so he was out in the world he was tripping on world. drugs, yes. experiencing community and nature and stuff when he Light came bulb. up with it. <laughs> uh. See, this is, the things it'll to do to, to your brain, you know, just yeah. small talk with people. <laughs> but again, I think, yeah, important that we understand that it's like this very complex issue where it's such a double edged sword where it's given us things like being able to connect with people when we need to and in ways that are much better than just like talking over the phone or writing something. But at the same time, there's also this like commodified, monetized, you know, use of technology that is purely built on extracting as much eyeball time from you as possible and you know not reckoning with that is creating a bit of a slippery slope all right that's gonna do it for this week's weekly zeitgeist please like and review the show if you like the show uh means the world to miles he he needs your validation folks uh, i hope you're having a great weekend and i will talk to you monday bye
Here's something you might not know about wireless. Sometimes what you see isn't what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 per month, taxes and fees included. Switch now at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zeit gang, you like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.